you've probably heard me mention that one of the favorite things I've done is teach seventh grade catechism. And I started doing it back before I was a priest out in North Carolina. And I have so many funny stories from these kids. As I love seventh grade. I've said before that uh, they're young, they're old enough to understand what's going on in the world and to understand teaching, but they're young enough not to be defiled yet by the world. So that's why I love seventh grade. I always used to tease, and that was the happiest three years of my life, right? Seventh grade. But anyway, the the funny one that I remember was one of the students said to me, you know, Father, they found some writings, um, some ancient writings that uh, quoted Peter. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And Peter was actually documented saying Jesus actually only made one mistake in his whole life. And I was like, huh? And he said, yeah, it's documented that Peter said Jesus made one mistake in his whole life. I said, well, what was that? He cured his mother-in-law. <laughs> so I laughed and I says, well, you know, and you know, it's funny because that brings up the question of celibacy. I just happened to answer that question yesterday. Somebody, you know, uh, wrote to our online saying, criticizing the church and celibacy is not of the Bible. Oh, yes, it is. Actually, it says in Matthew 19, I think, that if someone has chosen, uh, now it uses the metaphor of being a eunuch, uh, which means not in acting in our sexual, practicing sexuality, um, it means they should. They should give that for the kingdom of God. But he said, well, the church just enforced it because they wanted more property. They wanted more property. No, actually, the church had plenty of property uh, back at the time where it began uh, celibacy. Well, wait a minute. The Bible shows Peter was married. He has a mother-in-law. Yes, there were examples of churches uh, being, um, or excuse me, of, uh, of priests being married. But never in the history of the church has a priest that is already ordained gotten married. We've had in the example in the church where married men have been ordained, but never ordained men getting married. And it makes perfect sense because I am the first one to say there's no way that I could do what I am doing and most all priests and be married. It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair to have two spouses. We live in the imitation of Christ. Christ was celibate. Christ was not married. So I'm not sure why the criticisms come at the church for having celibacy amongst their clergy. Amongst the clergy, we are married. We are married to the church. And that's following the example of Jesus Christ. And so with that comes a beautiful gift of being to the one spouse of our church. Now, saying a couple things about this passage though, uh, here we see Jesus uh, doing a public miracle in a synagogue. Uh, right here, the passage ended yesterday with Jesus in the demon and in, now he's in the synagogue. But what does he do? He goes from public to private. Now he goes and does a miracle in private which shows the importance of both public and private prayer. We in the church promote or not promote teach that you need both. You don't have just public prayer. You don't have just private prayer. You have both. What is public prayer? What is private prayer? Okay, we all know private prayer. That's what you do on your own. But public prayer is the liturgy. 
or two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So basically, Jesus is doing both. He just did a public miracle and prayer in the synagogue. He was actually praying in the synagogue. Now he goes and does a private prayer in private in the home of Peter, and he prays in the home of Peter. So Jesus was not just a performer for the crowds in public. He was doing this in private too. So many, you know, are only public performers. And then in their private lives live something totally different. I remember one woman telling me in a mission that her husband is a carpenter. And she says, and Father, I can't fix all our broken cabinets and, and, and all the things in our house. And she's married to a carpenter because he didn't do there in the home what he could do for a living or out in public. Well, anyway, um, Jesus's power over evil then is shown here. And it's not just over spiritual evil. He heals Peter's mother-in-law physically. Right now, we are being attacked in our community with our families. There are so many, now it's hitting our employees. Um, one of our precious employees just texted me last night. Her mom had to be rushed into the hospital for an emergency surgery. Um, we just had another death uh, of a close relative of one of our employees. Uh, you all know and been praying. Thank you for my family. We're praying for yours. But Father Kaz says, the more this ministry, the more this ministry reaches souls and brings souls to the Christ, the bigger price we're going to pay. Now, that doesn't mean, well, gee, Father, that means I don't want to be Catholic because I don't want this. Well, this is a gift that our Lord gives us when we share in the cross. No, it doesn't mean that we want our relatives to be sick or, or anything like that. Oh, no, not at all. Like Jesus, we ask that the cup pass us by. But then Jesus said in the garden, but not my will be done, your will be done. And so we see Jesus doing this now. Jesus healed his mother-in-law physically, not just a demon like he did the story right before it. It shows he has authority over everything, not just the demonic spirit, but also the physical disease. He has it over COVID. Are we praying? Are we praying every day for him to take control over that? You know, Jesus acts when we have faith. When we don't have faith, Jesus doesn't act. Jesus even said in scriptures that it says in scriptures that Jesus couldn't do any miracles in his own hometown because of the lack of the faith of the people. So Jesus doesn't here proclaim that he is God. Um, he lets his, his actions explain who he is. Those actions are always louder than words. Um, you know, there is a place in the Bible where Jesus says he is God, in Mark, when Pilate says, are you the Messiah, the son of the most high? And Jesus said, I am. A lot of times I get letters, online comments, people saying, Jesus never said that. Jesus never said he was God. Why do you believe he was God? Actually, he did. But here he didn't need to. Here his actions say it. He basically stopped the demons from speaking when he rebuked them, and he did not want them to be saying who he is. They said, we know you are the son of the most high God. And he rebuked them. Why? Because Jesus wanted the people to see who the true Messiah was, not have the wrong idea by these demons, but he wanted the people to know that the true Messiah is going to free you from the real oppressor, not Rome, sin. 
That's the message. <clears throat> now, the Sabbath. What's going on here with the Sabbath? When is the Sabbath anyway? What is the Sabbath? Because those are more letters I always get. You Catholics change the Sabbath. No, we're not Jewish. We don't celebrate the Sabbath. Our commandment doesn't say the Sabbath. It's keep holy the Lord's day, which the Lord's day for us is Sunday, the day he resurrected. If you don't like it, take it up with Jesus. The fact is that Sabbath was from Friday evening to Saturday evening for the Jews, but we're not Jewish. We celebrate the Lord's day on Sunday because that's the day he resurrected. But Jesus here heals on the Sabbath. Sis violated the Old Testament law. Now, prayer, though, is always to be done, not on the Sabbath only or on, not on the Sabbath only. Always. Pray always. And so basically, prayer is great, but Jesus is showing human need is even greater. Hmm. I remember, God rest his soul, Father Seraphim. Um, I told him a story once when I was traveling and I was on the airline and I was behind a guy and he had put his seat back a few inches and the stewardess came roaring up the aisle and yelling at this guy, literally, and I'm not exaggerating, she was really, really rude to this poor man to, and she was shoving his, his seat forward. It was back maybe two inches. And he explained to her, he pleaded with her that, um, please, ma'am, I just, I, I, I've had disc surgery on my back. Um, I can't really hardly walk. I can't sit. This is awful. I'm in excruciating pain. And I know you're not going to believe this, but I'm honestly telling you the truth. Putting that seat back even two little inches puts tremendous, a different angle on my back. Please, please. And she didn't hear a word he said. She started Sir, uh, do I have to? She went and got the co-pilot and they threatened to turn the plane around to go back to the gate. We were going to have to disembark the entire plane because this guy asked if he could not have to move his seat uh, forward two inches because of his back. And they made this big spectacle about it. The co-pilot had to come out. They stopped the plane. It was the most ridiculous thing I ever saw. And I get safety. I do understand that. And, and, but I'm sorry, two inches on that plane seat. And so I asked Father Seraphim to please guide me on the moral teaching of this. And I was looking for Father Seraphim to say one way or the other, yeah, that stewardess was totally right. Or, you know, that guy was totally wrong or that guy was right. And Father Seraphim looked at me and he said, when rules become more important than people, we're in trouble. And what did Jesus do by healing on the Sabbath? He said, people are more important. This woman, Peter's mother-in-law, was in dire need. And what Jesus was saying is, I know you have your Sabbath rule, but here is a woman in dire need and I'm going to heal her. People are more important. And this is where the whole issue comes. I understand the need for safety. This is true. We have to have it. But not at the expense of the complete elimination of human freedom. You will disintegrate. Yeah, you might keep people safe for a year, a week, a month, or a year. But in the long run, you're going to lose everything.
What's better, to keep us safe for a week, a year, a month, or a year, or to keep us safe forever? And when Father Seraphim said that, that when people, when rules become more important than people, I saw the connection with this gospel passage. The connection is Jesus said people are more important than even the Sabbath rule. Because if it wasn't true, Jesus wouldn't have healed her on the Sabbath. Jesus would have said, I'm sorry, I can't heal you. I have to observe the letter of this rule. Now, I'm not asking or saying or suggesting in any way we don't follow rules, please. I know I'll get letters, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we have to come to the need of people. I'll give you an example real quick. We have a rule in our community that we have to pray all five offices of the divine office. We have to do that. But Father Kaz has made it very clear. If you are in the middle of your divine office obligatory prayer, and somebody comes up to you and says, Father Chris, my mother just died, or my mother is dying. Please, the hospital's an hour away. Can we jump in the car, please? This is our last moment. I can't get any other priest. Father Kaz says, you go. You go. As important of the rule of our prayer is, it does not take precedence over the need of that person. That's the message of this scripture. That's the message to me of what God is trying to teach us. You know, people flocked to Jesus because they saw he could do things. For one, prayer, you know, for every one prayer that we make in terms of thanksgiving to God, we usually make about a thousand when we're in need, don't we? It's human nature. How many times do we pray when we need something? Probably quite often. But how many times do we pray when we just want to say, thank you, Lord? You know, a lot of times we come to God only through crisis. Sometimes that's why God allows suffering. Sometimes it's the only time some of us will turn to God. You know, God is not, though, only to be used in time of crisis. We have to turn to him in times of the good. We have to remember him every day. And so that's how important prayer is. In fact, prayer is so important, Jesus is doing it. If there's anybody who didn't need to pray, it was Jesus. He's God, but he's praying here. He knew that he needed prayer. And if we are going to pour ourselves out to others, we need prayer too. If we are going to give of ourselves, we need to summon help from heaven. If you want to be a soldier for God, you're going to need weapons not talking guns and rockets and mortar shells. I'm talking prayer and virtue. The fact is, if we don't pray, we'll be guilty of not accepting the tools God gives us to win this spiritual battle. If we don't pray, we basically are ignoring the possibility of adding God to our fight. In prayer, we can give and receive, for instance, the perfect mind of God can help influence our mind in what to do. If prayer was necessary for Jesus, it's necessary for us. 
And so there's many ways to pray. You can pray, Father, I don't have time to pray. Well, do you take a shower every day? Well, yeah, hopefully. Well, you can pray there. You got to drive to work? Yeah. Well, maybe turn off the radio, do a little prayer. Prayer is not about the amount of time you pray. It's the love by which you pray. And so don't take prayer as being a burden. It's human nature that sometimes we say to ourselves, it's too busy, we're too busy. But Jesus found time and nobody was busier than Jesus. And so he knew that even in prayer though, he had to break that time and address human need. So pray, and then when human need presents itself to you, answer it. Prayer isn't the answer to everything in the sense that you could throw your feet up on the chair and say, well, gee, I don't have to work anymore. God will provide for me. No, God provided for you through your own work and labor, through our own efforts. We work with God, not in spite of God or in separate from God. And so what we do is we strengthen our relationship so that he can help us in what we do. And so finally, this is what the emphasis was in Christ. You know, he said here that he has to go preach to other towns. And that's the reason I was sent. And so preaching is powerful. And Jesus said, this is the purpose which I came. And so when we come to mass, we have to realize that the word of God and we always focus on the sacrament, on the liturgy of the Eucharist and receiving Holy Communion. That's critically important. That's the whole source and summit of our faith. But we can't forget the word. The word is the first part of the mass. And that word most enters our heart through prayer. And so let us thank God for the message that he gives to us and the inspiration on our hearts that we receive when we pray. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.